as we open your word, break the bread of life, would we just have a focus of our minds and God, uh, just a clarity of what you are challenging us to do in our lives through your word. Father, we thank you that the word gives life, the word changes us, the word is our hope, and Father, we trust it for our lives. We thank you, God, for giving it to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn to your Bibles in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We are halfway through Solomon's journal, and we are looking at his outlook on life. And as he's looked at life, and as he's written down what he's observed in life, we know in the Old Testament, we know Job from, with, uh, from his patience. We think about patience, and we think of Job. When we think about Solomon, we think about wisdom. But so far in the book, wisdom has been missing. It has taken a back seat as rebellion took the wheel. And the funny thing about us humans is we tend to run faster when we've lost our way. And when we do, guess what waits for us? Wisdom. Refusing to keep pace with our frantic, maddening race to find happiness. And there is wisdom waiting for us. And so we have access in our world to a lot of facts. We can Google just about anything. Right now you can look up on your phone about anything you want. We have access to a lot of facts, but we don't have access to a lot of wisdom. The Bible is what gives us wisdom. In fact, Google it and you will find the stuff, but it's the Lord who gives us wisdom. And so Solomon now, in his life, something different starts to become in focus, and it's wisdom. And this wisdom has been absent from the first part of the book. When we think about it, what has he done? He's looked out on life, and he says, I'm going to try all kinds of things. I'm going to try pleasure, and I'm going to try women, and I'm going to try success. And all those things came up empty. And now this turn in his journal, this turn in his experience, we find the word wise and wisdom almost 35 times from this point on in Ecclesiastes. It's almost like Solomon did this thing. He goes out and around, but he always comes back. And wisdom is always waiting for us when we come home. Why is Solomon doing this? It's because he's, tur- he's coming back home. He's coming back to that place of wisdom. I was reading in Nehemiah yesterday. At the end of Nehemiah, it comments on Solomon. In verse thir- uh, chapter 13, verse 26, uh, Nehemiah is uh, talking to the Israelites about intermarrying, and they weren't supposed to intermarry. He says, Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was wise. He had all these things. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Even Solomon, when he did what the Lord asked him not to do, was led into sin. And so now Solomon starts to come back. He says, you know what? I've been there. I've done that. And it comes up empty. It's vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. It's futile. It's meaningless. That phrase over and over that he talks about in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so today we're going to look at two things in chapter 7. He's going to give us some wise proverbs. And so these you can just kind of tuck into your filing system. This is some wisdom for life. And then he's going to explain to us why wisdom. There are some great benefits of living a wise life. And so he starts with these better than proverbs in chapter 7. And it's almost like he's answering chapter 6 and verse 12. At the very end, he says, who knows What is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? It's almost like Solomon asked this question, who knows what's good for us? And then he starts to say, here's some things that are good for us. He asks the question, then he starts to give us 
the answer. He gives us seven better than Proverbs. Proverbs are generally structured in a couple of ways, and one of these is better than. They'll say something, and then something else is better than. So let's, let's just run through these uh, seven better than Proverbs. Here's what he says in verse 1. A good reputation is better than perfume. He said, reputation is more valuable than and travels further than the scent of perfume. It's better, he says, to come to the end of life with a good reputation than to have this big, joyful start and then end in a failure. He says, because folly could result in nothing. And so really, he's setting the tone for the rest of the chapter, that it's good to have a, it's better to have a, a good reputation. And so Solomon is going to tell us how we are to respond to adversity and to, and to prosperity. Do you know this doesn't only apply to people, but it applies to restaurants as well? All restaurants smell good. Well, most of them do. Not all, but most of them. But you don't go to a restaurant based on a smell. You go to the restaurant based on its reputation. You look it up and you see how many stars it has and how many people have commented on it. So we go based on the reputation and not the smell. Now, sometimes it has a bad reputation because of the smell, but that's the same with us. That a good reputation is far better and far more reaching than the lady on the, per- on the uh, metro that dumped half a bottle of cologne on her perfume on her that morning. Right? We can all smell it everywhere. And Solomon says, you know what? As permeating as that is, your reputation is far better than that. And then he goes on in the end of uh, verse 1. He said, the day of death is better than the day of birth. Now, we're like, Solomon, you're kind of getting back on that track again, right? Where you're kind of a little melancholy or a little, little depressing. It's interesting that we celebrate birthdays, but we mourn death days. Why would Solomon say the day of death is better than the day of birth? Maybe he thought like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians, I'm hard-pressed between the two to remain here and to go to be with the Lord. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And don't you find that tension in your life that you say, Lord, that this, this life is hard, it's rough, and it's a tumble life, and to be with Jesus would be far better, but for those around us, in the sake of the world, in the sake of sharing the kingdom, and for the sake of spreading the gospel, it's far better to stay here. And so Solomon says that the day of death is better. Why? Because we get to be with the Lord. However, this life also has purpose. This life also has meaning, and I need to fulfill it and discover it, which leads him to his next better than in verse 2. It's better to go to a funeral than to a party. Death causes us to reflect on the transitory nature of life. And it's the funeral, not the party, that causes us to reflect. Think about the last time you were at a funeral. And you're sitting there, and uh, inevitably, at some point during that time, don't you have this thought, that's going to be me. Like, all of us are going to die, and that's going to be me. And there's like, sometimes it's a second, and sometimes it's many minutes, but we start to become reflective. We say, wow, life goes by so very fast, and life goes by so very quickly. And so that's why Solomon says attending a funeral is far better than attending a party. You've never at a party thought, wow, my life's going to end soon. I need to take life seriously. Why? We're celebrating and we're, and we're joyful. So Solomon saying, the things that matter, here's, here's what wisdom says. Wisdom says, you reflect on your life. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, teach us to number our days 
right? Teach us to look at our days and, and keep track of them and just don't go through life and going with the flow, but to make the most of every day. Why? So that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, we number our days, we're reflective on our days, not to become depressed, but to become wise. And Solomon says you need to take heart on it. You need to reflect on it. The subject is wisdom. And when you get, the, when you get beneath the shallow surface of life, it's amazing how you get rid of the superficial. Think about something tragic that's happened in your life. All of a sudden, all those petty things that we get worried about, all those things that we get upset about, don't they seem to kind of fade away? All the stuff that works us up and all the stuff we get angry about, it looks different in the light of mortality. It looks different in the light of death. And that's all Solomon is saying. He says, it's better, it's better you reflect on your life than to just live this life all the time with no reflection. He kind of continues with this theme. And the better, next better than, he says, grief is better than laughter. Sorrow saddens the face, but what it does is it improves the mind. Often it's through sorrow that we have this sober reflection. Often it's through grief. Often it's through difficult times that we reflect on our lives and we say, who am I? Where am I going? What do I want out of life? What is this all about? And often laughter doesn't do that. After a quick laugh, it's amazing how soon we forget the joke. Somebody tells a joke and you laugh and you get home and you say, so-and-so told a joke, but I, for the life of me, I can't remember it. Because laughter is fleeting. And that's all Solomon is saying. Solomon is saying what? Is that we learn through these difficulties. We learn through grief. We learn through frustration because that causes us to put the brakes on. And say, evaluate your life. There's a story about a frightened woman on the Titanic who found her place in a lifeboat that was ready to be dropped off the side into the raging North Atlantic. She suddenly thought of something she needed back in her room and so she uh, uh, jumped out of the boat and asked if she was able to go to her stateroom and they said you can only you only have a couple minutes and so she ran back to her stateroom and she got out and ran across the deck and the water was already an ankle deep in her room and she ignored it all and went into the room and she went down and she came to her stateroom and ran inside the shelf above her bed and the box crashed out and it was all this diamond jewelry and all this gold but she reached up on the shelf and she grabbed three oranges and she put the oranges in her pocket and ran back to the lifeboat. Now that woman would never have grabbed three oranges and not the diamonds when life was going fine. But when she was about ready to die, all of a sudden, these oranges took on new significance. And that's all Solomon is saying. Solomon is saying grief helps us focus on what's important. We're not to be grieving all the time. Listen, the joy of the Lord is our strength. There is joy in Jesus. There is a lot of great things in life. But Solomon says, here's what a wise person does. A wise person takes advantage of those opportunities to evaluate their life and see what's really important. So that's what he says. Grief is what? Better than laughter. Because you evaluate your life and you look at your life. He says then, a wise person's rebuke is better than the song of fools. Listen, there are always people trying to tell us things. There's always people trying to give us advice. And what Solomon says in verse 5, he says, it's better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. And here's how he describes the song of fools, like the crackling of thorns under the pot. It's a play on words. That word for crackling and pot sounds similar. So is the laughter of fools. He says, this too is meaningless. 
that boisterous song of the fools that burns quickly and then it's gone. Have you ever noticed how much of the, the advice of fools is, is it's, it's, a, it's a bang and then it's gone? Where did it go? It's because that's what Solomon says. He says it's like the crackling of thorns. Pop, 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 pop. It's, 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 there's noise and there's, there's some excitement, but then it's gone. Here's what wisdom does. Wisdom is in it for the long haul. Don't get suckered into schemes. Don't get suckered into things that are just kind of those flash in the pan. Because thorns burn quickly. And they're extinguished quickly. And that's all Solomon is saying. That rebuke or correction from a wise person. And Solomon's one of those wise people who's rebuking us today. He's teaching us. That's far better than the song of fools. Quick, get rich, quick schemes, conspiracy theories. All those things sound great. But they're just the crackling of thorns. They're here today and gone tomorrow. And Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. If somebody comes to you and offers you something new that's never been taught before, that's never been had before, your skepticism should go off. Wait a minute. Is this the crackling of thorns or is this the advice of someone who's wise? And so he says a wise person's rebuke is far better than this, than this crackling of thorns. But we like the crackling of thorns. Social media is all full of crackling thorns. Pop, 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 tweet, 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 post, post, post. But it's gone tomorrow. But wisdom's in it for the long haul. Here's what else he says at the end of of verse 8. He says the end of the matter is better than its beginning. He says only when something's over can it be properly assessed. The end of the matter is, is reality. And that Solomon has kind of alluded to this throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, dreams, there are many dreams, right? We, we just want to dream and just think things are going to be a way that they are. But Solomon says, when it's over, then you look back and you see how it really was. The end of a matter is better than its beginning because then I see reality at the end. Most people live in dream world. <laughs> they don't live in reality. They just say, if I tell my story long enough, it's going to become reality. And Solomon says, no, life is real. And they they come up against each other. And so either you're going to live in reality or you're going to live in a fantasy. But the end will tell you which one was which. And so we live life. Why? The end of a matter is better than its beginning. I am scared to think about how many times I've assumed something was a certain way. And it's probably in the hundreds, if not the thousands. But then when it happens, my assumptions were wrong. Now, here's the problem. We all assume all the time. I came out of the house this morning. There's a couple walking through the parking lot. And I was walking by uh, Christie's car, and my bag uh, slipped, and I went like this. And I walked out to the car, and the guy says to me, oh, did you change your mind? I said, what? He's like, yeah, you were going to take the van, but now you're over here. I'm like, no, that's my wife's car. This is my car. He's like, oh, ha, ha, ha. See, what he did was he assumed I walked up to the thing, and I changed, I'm not taking this car. I'm taking this car. But the end of the matter, like, no, that's not at all what happened. I didn't tell him I almost tripped. But the end of the matter is what the reality was. But we do that, don't we? We all have these assumptions. Well, I know why you're doing that. I know why you did that. And the end, what the end tells us, and that's what Solomon says. But along with that is that word we don't like. But he says patience is better 
than pride. Patience, the end of the matter, is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride. Why? Because it takes some patience. It just takes some, I'm going to get through this. You know, patience means long-suffering. And isn't that a great word picture of what patience is? Long-suffering. And so we get through that, and to get to the end of the matter, we just have to have some patience. And so what he says, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the laps of fool. Patience, waiting for the end, is better than pride. And what happens when pride is expressed prematurely, it often results in anger. Anger is often premature. Think about how many times we get angry, and then we find out, oh, there was nothing to get angry about. That we, we get upset, and we don't wait. We don't have the patience to wait till the end of the matter. That guy cut me off, and I'm so mad. And we find out he's taking his wife to the hospital. She's in labor. See, we don't wait. And pay, the wise person waits until they find out what really is the case. And so we go through our lives, and we are so worked up, and we're so upset, and we don't have the patience to wait to find out what reality is. Listen. All red lights eventually turn green. They just do. And we're fussing and we're fuming and we don't have patience and we start to get angry and we go on and on and on. And so what he says is, do not say why were the old days better than these for it's not wise to ask such questions. Today is today. It'll never be yesterday. And if you're living in yesterday, you need to pull yourself out and get into today. It'll never be yesterday. In fact, it'll never be tomorrow. It's only today. When we get to tomorrow, it's going to be today. And today will be yesterday. And Tuesday will be tomorrow. And we will never live in tomorrow. We never live in yesterday. We only live in today. And that's all Solomon's saying. Don't ask why the old days were better than these. He's already answered that question. Why we ask that is because we have bad memories. We just think the old days were better but they were as difficult as today. We just forget, and we have selective memories, and we only tend to look at the good things. Why in all of your pictures are you smiling? And you go back over your life, and you're like, this was a miserable time in my life, but I'm smiling in this picture because our our memories are bad. And history, it doesn't, the history that we remember is not always real. And so what Solomon says, it takes some patience. This proud spirit is that inner character of what it is and so he says you live for today in fact wisdom's benefits in verse 11 says wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and it benefits those who see the sun who's that those who are alive today remember under the sun is the life where we're living above the sun is where god lives he says so those so if you are seeing the sun today okay look out the windows on both sides do you see the sun you are living <laughs> you are alive. And that's what Solomon says. He says, when we, those who see the sun, so this is what wisdom is for us. And so he's going to give us some benefits of wisdom. He said, we know those Proverbs sound great, but what, what good is it? Well, here's what wisdom does for you. Listen, wisdom is not IQ. We get these two con- these con- conceptions mixed. Do you know what IQ is? IQ is you're good at answering questions on a test. But wisdom is for everyone. Wisdom is what God gives us. Wisdom is is available to anyone and everyone. Listen, there are some Mensa members who are not wise. They just have a great IQ. Will they say common sense isn't so common anymore? 
That's why, because we're not living by wisdom. So li- listen, don't discount yourself. Don't say, well, I could never be wise. Because what you're saying is, I don't know that I could be smart with a high IQ, which may be true. We all have different IQs, but we can all be wise. So these benefits are for everyone. Here's seven benefits, if you're not convinced yet, of what Solomon tells us. The first one is protection. He says, wisdom is a shelter, in verse 20, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. What he says is what? Money, money provides some protection. Your car breaks down. If I have the money, I can pay it, right? And there's a protection there. But what he says is that it's possible to lose the money and it won't always be there, but wisdom will preserve you. Wisdom is what lasts. It's possible for the, for the wise man to be poor, but it's also for, uh, possible for the fool to lose his wealth. And so what Solomon says, if you want, if you want protection over your life, I'm not talking about protection from harm, protection from things, although sometimes that's true as we live in wisdom. But if you want to have a life that's wise, if you you have wisdom, will he said it will protect you. He says it's a good thing. So it's much better to have wisdom than to not have wisdom. The next benefit he tells us is that it gives us a perspective. He says in verse 13, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about his future. And what he says is, I want you to consider. I want you to evaluate. And so here again, he's saying this thing. What what God has made crooked, we cannot straighten. There are just some ways that God has structured the world. In his creative Uh, the way he created this universe, this is the universe he created. And so there are just some ways that he has created this. And whatever he created, you can't uncreate it and make it into your own fashion because that's not the reality of the world. We can't maintain the basic structure of the world. And so what he says is there are good times of prosperity that produces joy. There are bad times, right? That brings caution in our lives. But God is still at work, and he's still at work in the world. And there are some things, he says, that we cannot understand. He says, no one can discover anything about the future. There's just some wisdom of God that we don't know. But what happens is, when we have this wise life, it just gives us perspective. When we can come in life and we can say, you know, there's, there's bad things that happen. There just is. And we don't need to be surprised when bad things happen because people are being people. Sinful, selfish people. Solomon says that. He said, I looked out and I saw that there was no justice. I saw that there was oppression. And he said, I, just, I saw it all. And so what, what wisdom does, it gives us a perspective. Instead of saying, I don't understand how that could happen, we just say, yeah, that's, that's evil. That's sin. That's just people being people, right? It gives us a perspective on life. Because then he leads into this next part in chapter 7 that not only does it give us perspective but it also gives us balance because look what he says that um, god has made one as well as the other you know the times he talked about in chapter 3 there's a time for everything time to mourn and time to dance a time to uh, embrace a time to refrain from embracing but what he says is in this meaningless life of mine i have seen both of these and i bet you've seen these too and i bet these have happened to you the righteous perishing in their righteousness 
and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Isn't that the struggle of God's people through the years? Say, Lord, I'm your child. I'm righteous. I'm doing the thing. Why am I suffering? Why am I perishing? And Lord, here's this wicked person, and they're successful, and they don't have any cares. They have a lot of money. They have a big house. They have all these things. And Lord, why is that happening? And that's been the cry of God's people throughout the centuries. But Solomon says this, I have seen both of these. And so what he does is, he says, don't force life into this cause and effect. What the Old Testament taught, or what the people believed incorrectly, was this, that life was retributive. In other words, you did good things, and only good things are going to happen to you. And if you did bad things, then bad things would happen to you. And the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people, because that's just the way it is on planet Earth. It's not, it's not that you do the good things and all those good things are coming back. You know what that word is we see all the time? It's karma, and karma is not Christian. You do the good things, and all of a sudden I'm supposed to be spared and all that stuff. And Solomon says, no, here's what wisdom does. Wisdom helps you find balance. He says this, the tradition of the times stress this theory of retribution. But that's not how the world works. Why? Because over and over we see these observations. Now listen, we can say, well, I don't like that. And we can say, well, I don't believe that. But here's the reality. That's the way it is. You're trying to straighten out something that's crooked. It's not going to be straight because that's just the way it is. And so Solomon says this, what wisdom will do is it'll give you some balance in life. Remember the song, he's got the whole world in his hands? (laughs) But isn't there times when it's really hard to believe that he's got all of our circumstances are really in his hands the wind and the rain and the tiny little baby and the minor interruptions as well as the major interruptions but solomon reminds us that all those things are in god's hands and what he does is it provides balance so I've been praying for healing, but healing hasn't come. I, I prayed for a, a husband to turn around, but he hasn't turned around. I prayed for wayward children who have forsaken and forgotten me to come home, but they haven't come home yet. And what Solomon says, I've seen it. That's, that's life. That's how it works. You keep praying. You keep trusting. You keep doing the thing. But listen, wisdom gives us balance. Now, if you really want your socks knocked off, go to verse 16. Don't be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Don't be over-wicked and don't be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever feels God will avoid all extremes. Now listen, verses 16 and 18, they're difficult. Lord, what do you mean, don't be over-righteous? I thought we were supposed to be righteous. What do you mean, don't be over-wicked? Does that mean we're supposed to be somewhat wicked and not over-wicked? No, what he's saying is it's balance. Listen, we have all met people whose faith has gone to seed. They have become arrogant. They have become judgmental. They have become legalistic. They have become hateful, all in the name of Jesus. All in the name of doing what God wants them to do. That's what Solomon says. Don't become over-righteous. Don't let, don't let your religion go to seed. Like, in other words, don't, don't become this weirdo that nobody wants to be around because you have this, this over-righteousness. I'm too good for people. I can't talk to certain people. I got to walk on the other side of the street because somebody's going on this side of the street. All he's saying is, just be a normal believer. <laughs> They're so hard to find. 
don't be a carnal believer, right? This over uh, wicked, like everything goes, but don't be the other way, right? And so we have to battle these two extremes. We have to battle legalism and license. That legalism is everything's wrong and license is everything's okay. And what Solomon says, look, life is a balance. There are some things that are good and honorable that you can do. Just be a normal, just be a normal believer. Listen, reason is not opposed to faith. God made us as intelligent, uh, rational beings. And so in your mind, you can look and you say, you know what? I don't think that's right. That's, that's probably because it's not right. You're just looking at the world. Listen, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. We stand holy in the world and holy in Christ. All of us. We are holy. Not, not holy, H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-E-Y. Holy. Holy. Help me, teachers. O-L-L-Y. Holy in the world. There's a hole in my vocabulary. Holy in the world and holy in Christ. All of us at the same time. Didn't the Bible say we're in the world but not of the world? That's all Solomon says. Is don't be over-righteous. Don't be like this weirdo. Digging the hole in your backyard. Stocking the MREs. And all that kind of stuff. Because you're afraid the Haley's Comet's going to crash into the plant sometime. But don't be over-wicked. Just be, just be that Christ person in the world. That's what, that's, but that's what wisdom does for us. Wisdom, we can say, that, that doesn't seem right. And we come back to God's word, and we come back to who he is. Okay, next thing that wisdom gives us is strength. Wisdom gives us strength. He says in verse 19, wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a state. Wow! Here's what wisdom will do. Wisdom will help you do the right thing, and will give you more strength than ten rulers in a city. What kind of strength do we need? We need strength to persevere. We need strength to overcome sin. Galatians chapter 6, Paul says this, whatever we sow is what we reap. He says, if you sow to the flesh, what happens? From the flesh you'll reap destruction. But if you sow to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, eternal life. He says, let's not become weary in doing good. We will reap a harvest at the proper time if we don't give up. You know what that means is? Right now we might not be reaping a harvest. But here's what wisdom does. Wisdom says, where am I going to sow? Am I going to sow to the flesh or am I going to sow to the spirit? It goes back to over-righteous and over-wicked. But what it does is it gives us strength. Wisdom make, helps us to make the right decisions because we know the path that the Lord has laid out for us. You know, there's two kinds of people in, in the scripture, especially in the wisdom literature. There's the wise and the fool. And the wise is the person who goes on the straight and the fool is the person who goes on the crooked path. The wise is the person that goes on the narrow path. The fool is the person that goes on the path that's wide and leads to destruction. So if you want some strength in your life, you need some wisdom. The next thing that he tells us is objectivity. We look at life for what it really is. He says in verse 20, Indeed, there's no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. And I want you to hold that verse in your mind. Who's included in the no one? Not, no, not you, the person next to you. <laughs> right? That's how we normally think. Well, oh, Solomon, you're, yeah, you're talking about the person next to me. I get it. No, he's talking about me. He's talking about you, not the person next to you. So when he says there's no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins, he's talking about us. We always like to think about the other person, though, right? 
He says, don't pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. Do you know what wisdom does? Wisdom gives us objectivity. And what Solomon says is this. You hear somebody talking bad about you, and what do we do? We get all indignant, and we just want to get back at them, and we want to post stuff, and we want to call them. And Solomon says, whoa, back up the truck, buster. You've done the very same thing. You have talked about people. You have been mean to people. You have been ignorant to people. You have cursed people. You have said some not very nice things about people. And so what wisdom does is wisdom helps us to remember that. Oh, I've done that too. What if whenever something happens to us at the hands of others, what if we allowed wisdom to go through the catalog as far as we can remember and say, have I ever done that? And guess what the answer is probably going to be? I've kind of done that. The person's lied about you. Have you ever lied about someone? Yes, that's what wisdom does. Wisdom gives us this objectivity about life. And it says, now wait a minute, before you lose your patience, before you don't have any strength, here's what I want you to do. Wisdom will help us look at life objectively because we look at ourselves as well. And we, we look at ourselves and we say, you know what? I've, I've done that very same thing. He says, you know, verse 22, in your heart, right? If we're honest, that you have many times have cursed others, you've done the same thing that you're all indignant about the other person doing, and that's what wisdom does. All this I tested by wisdom, verse 23, I determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. There's just some wisdom, right? There's just some wisdom that's beyond us, but there's some wisdom that we can grasp. There's some wisdom of God's word. He says, whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? He says, there is some unattainable wisdom. There's that wisdom of the Lord that we will never discover, but there is some wisdom that we can learn from others, like we're learning from Solomon. We learn from the experiences of life. We learn from life here on planet Earth. And what it does is it gives us this objectivity. It, there's this, there's this uh, balance in life that wisdom gives us. And don't you find that's what wisdom does? It's not the smarts and it's not the facts, but it's the wisdom to say, you know what? Here's the facts, but wisdom helps us to look at those facts. Another thing that wisdom gives us is gives us insight. Now, Solomon says, I turn my mind to understanding in verse 25 to investigate and search out wisdom in the scheme of things. This is kind of what he's done in his, in his journal so far, right? He's been looking and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the, and the madness of folly. And now here's what he says in verse 26. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered, adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things. While I was still searching, but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Now listen, these verses are not the description of life as it is. Solomon is not saying that only men are upright and women are not upright. That's not what he's saying. But think about Solomon's experience in life. Where was he in life? His heart went astray. He was led astray by many uh, foreign women whose, whose hearts turned him from the Lord. And the Lord said, don't do it. And yet he did it. And so what he's doing is, listen, he's just expressing some personal observation from 
experience. We need to be careful not to make this normative. Yep, Solomon. Yeah, yeah, you're right. If in a thousand people, there's maybe one righteous man and no women, I gotcha. That's not what he's saying. Really what he's saying is, there's really no one that's righteous. He just had some bad luck with women. And we see that in his journal. Like that kind of sneaks in there. But what he's saying is this. He couldn't couldn't find one upright person. Why? Because it gives us insight into human nature. Our, Our basic problems are not above us or outside of us, but they're within us. That's what Solomon says. Solomon says what? That, that they have gone in search of many schemes. That in my own heart, I understand this thing. And so what he's saying is, our, our problems are not outside of us, but they're within us. Right? The sin and the things. So what Solomon says, here's what wisdom will do. Wisdom will give you insight. Wisdom will give you insight to ask, how have I contributed to this first, instead of saying you are completely at fault? Wisdom will give us the insight to look at ourselves and say, hmm. You know, I can see where I am a sinner. I can see where I am selfish. That's what wisdom does. The last one is this, is graciousness. Chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. You know what a hard face is? A stubborn face. (laughs) A stubborn face. You ever do that thing where you try to get each other to smile, and whoever smiles first loses? It's a game you can play, and you try to hold your face. I'm not smiling. I'm not smiling. Why? Because it's a sign of stubbornness. And here's what wisdom does. Wisdom softens the face. It gives us this spirit of graciousness. It gives us this spirit of gentleness. Why? Because we understand from wisdom that I, all the things he just said, that yes, I do the things I'm accusing others of. Yes, the problems are within me as well. And what it does is it gives me a little graciousness and gentleness to others. And what it means is that now, that because it brightens my face, that others can see that as well. It's an external kind of thing. There is nothing better than a person who's wise, who can be gracious, because a person like that knows the meaning of things. And they know who they are, and they know who others are, and they're gracious and gentle. Those are the benefits of wisdom that wisdom will give to us. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Look at verse 30. It's on your notes. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. The Bible says that Jesus is wisdom. Wisdom has a name, and wisdom's name is Jesus. And so here's what wisdom does. Wisdom does what Jesus does, right? In protection, it provides us from protection from the pitfalls of life, from pride and doubt and bitterness. And Jesus goes right to the heart of our matter. What does he say? The problem is in, it's with your heart. How about perspective? In the days of prosperity, in the days of adversity, wisdom gives us perspective. And what happens when we are in Christ? We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That gives us, right, a new perspective. What about balance? We are in the world, but not of the world. Wisdom will protect us from the lunatic fringe all around us. Will Rogers said this, we need to sit loose in the saddle. That's how we approach life. Listen, we do not define life, we can only live life. That's all we can do. There's, there's parameters on life. There's a beginning and there's an end. Things, the good things happen and bad things happen. We don't define the parameters of life. We just get to live it. And that's all Solomon is saying. We just get to live it. But we need to sit loose in the saddle. Not to be so 
uh, intense about everything. What wisdom does is it helps us to enjoy life, which is what Solomon tells us. Strength. What does Jesus do? Jesus keeps us stable from the blast of criticism as well as pride. Do you know believers should be the least offended people on the planet? Romans 8 verse 1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there's no condemnation for you, if you are in Christ Jesus, we should be the least offended people on the planet because we have no offense from God when we are in Christ Jesus. And all the other stuff is all the crackling of thorns and all those things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Jesus gives us an objectivity. We have this divine perspective on life. We know that we are just as bad as everybody else. And we have no reason to boast We have no reason to be proud only because of Jesus, that we are in Christ. Jesus gives us insight, right? It clears our minds. What did Jesus say? You will know the truth, and what? The truth will set you free. It's insight. Jesus helps us to see the world as it really is, as what what we need. Jesus, you know, Jesus gives us gentleness. Philippians chapter 4 says this, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Jesus does all those things in our lives. Here's a great definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the God-given ability, right? It comes from God. And the Bible says, if any of you lacked wisdom, you should ask. He's not talking about your algebra test, not talking about your driving test. He's talking about this wisdom that comes from God, wisdom for living. Wisdom is the God-given ability to see life with rare objectivity. This is how it really is. And to handle life with rare stability. Isn't that a great promise? That's what wisdom is. We can look at life for all that it is. The joys and the sorrows. The adversity and the prosperity. The ups and the downs. And what wisdom does is it helps us to look at that and say, you know what? There is still a God who is sovereign over all. There is still a God who's working. There is still a God who, who works in our lives. It's Jesus who helps us to do that. Paul asked in 1 Corinthians... Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You know, the world thinks it's so smart. The Bible says God has made that wisdom foolishness. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block both to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. That's the promise we have when we're in Christ. Don't you want that kind of wisdom? A wisdom that's wiser than the world's wisdom. A wisdom that gives us strength. And do you know why God is so concerned about wisdom and his wisdom? It's because the cross looks foolish. The the Messiah was was coming and he was was supposed to overthrow the Roman Empire and and destroy all the enemies of God. And he didn't come that way. He came as a suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. And he was nailed to the cross. And the people that were looking for signs and the people that were looking for wisdom said, that's just dumb. What an idiot. He has, his, he has this crowd around him and, and these disciples, and, and, and they're all fools. Look, he just got killed on a cross. 
And, and, and Paul says that's because it's foolishness to the world. And what happened three days later? He arose again. And all that foolishness was turned upside down. And so, and so the Bible says that God, through the foolishness of the cross, Jesus suffering that we can have eternal life. And that's the wisdom that God gives us to see life as it really is. You mean Jesus died and suffered? That doesn't seem like you're, you're, you're trying to start a great movement with that, but it did. We are here in 2019, 2,000 years after that happened, still part of the church that he started. We're still here. The end, right? Don't look at the beginning. It's better to look at the end. And what's the end? The end is the resurrection. At the beginning, it looked hopeless, but at the end, it was hope-filled. At the beginning, it looked like defeat, but at the end, it was victory. And that's what all Solomon is telling us, is the wisdom of God is Jesus. That's what we have. Do you want that kind of wisdom? You can have it. It comes in Jesus. It comes through his word. It comes through asking him for wisdom. Remember, wisdom is the ability to see the reality of life and respond accordingly. Would you stand? We're going to sing. We're going to pray. Pray hard for God's wisdom. Perhaps you have a prayer need. You slip back to, the, back to our prayer area. But do you have that rare ability in life just to see life for how it is? And to, and to have a stability to handle life as it is? That's the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Solomon and your word helping us to understand wisdom. Oh, God, we can think we're pretty smart. We think we have it all figured out. But, God, it's the wisdom that comes from you. And, Father, if nothing else, the cross shows us how foolish we can be to have our own plans, to to try to dictate to you how you should do it, to try to have it figured out. But the cross shows us that that your foolishness is even wiser than the greatest wise person on the planet. So, Father, over these next few moments, we are just simply asking for wisdom. Not the smarts, not the IQ, but wisdom. We thank you for the wisdom in your word. We thank you the, the, with, the, with the sobriety that we can evaluate our lives in the light of our mortality to really get to the heart of the matter, the deep things of life, and not stay on the superficial. So, Father, over these next few moments, work in our hearts and our lives as we depend and trust in you and your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.